Good morning, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Harvest Fellowship. It is great to see you all uh, on this. Uh, it's warming up. Did you notice that? It's getting a little warmer. You know, probably get rid of our coats pretty soon here. Be out in shorts. My kids usually are in shorts once it's in the twenties. That's uh, go figure. That's it. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. <clears throat> I have. Uh, a couple announcements. I want to remind you also, the celebration service, that's in two weeks, right? We're going to have a, a wonderful, wonderful time. I agree with Paul. Bring lots of food. Next week, we will have a copy of the budget uh, in the back there somewhere. And uh, because we vote on the budget during that, uh, during that time, so we want to give you a chance to look at it. And if you have any questions or anything, you can call the office and so forth. But uh, we'll be voting on that. If you want, you have to be a member in order to vote, and our membership is very simple. You, if you think this is your church and you, we have a covenant, you look at it and you say, yeah, I agree with that, you sign it and you are a member, okay? So if you're interested in that, we do have covenants in the uh, foyer and get one of those and that will be wonderful. Uh, also, we have, you know, each month we have a different real activity and this month I think it's kind of special just because it's really challenging okay it's not your normal one uh, our real activities what we do is each month is give you an opportunity to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ in a practical way and this month we've actually asked you to step out of your comfort zone go to somebody you don't know and offer prayer to them. I know that's really scary. So I, uh, I want to show you a video first, and then we have a live uh, um, illustration of that, uh, and so a testimony of that. So let's, first let's watch the video. This is one, one way in which we can do it. Jennifer, and um, I just really felt like I should come over here and say hi. Um, okay. I'm a Christian. It might kind of sound a little bit weird, um, but I was just wondering if you had anything that maybe is on your heart that I could pray for you about. Um, my foot really hurts. Your foot hurts? Yep. Okay. Well, I really believe that God can heal, and I just really like to pray for your foot. Okay. That's okay. Um, maybe I should introduce myself. I'm Phil. Jennifer. Nice to meet you. Dear Heavenly Father, um, I know that you are uh, a healer, and um, I just pray for Phil's foot um, as it is giving him pain and bothering him, and I just pray for healing, um, and I just pray for him as he um, looks to you for that healing, um, and pray for uh, him to be able to know you um, and know that uh, you are um, a strong healer and provider. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, I see I go to this church. It's called Harvest in Sauk Rapids. Okay. And um there's a really wonderful group of people and um a really dynamic church and just invite you to come some Sunday Sunday morning if you're interested. That sounds interesting, yeah
Okay. I mean, that wasn't so hard, was it? You're thinking, yeah, it sure was. All right. But if you're led by God. Now, by the way, we do also recommend guys, pray for guys, girls for girls. But those are our actors, you know, and we, so we, had, we wanted to show you an, an illustration and, uh, of that. Um, but I also want to invite Janice to come up. She's going to share. Where's the microphone? Uh, she's going to share just a testimony where she uh, was able to talk to a total stranger. <laughs> so first of all, I have to say I'm totally out of my comfort zone being up here. <laughs> I'm a behind-the-scenes person. I just shake getting in front of people, have since fourth-grade history report. But God will take you out of your comfort zone, and boy, does he take you out. Um, so a few weeks ago, January 2nd, I looked at this plate of Christmas cookies on my counter. And I mean, I'd been nibbling them for over a week making them. And I gave them all my neighbors were saturated with them. <laughs> sort of like zucchini. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. <laughs> but I just thought, I'm going to give these away today. So I took a gallon-sized baggie and carefully laid them in there as nice as I could and took a Sharpie. And on the outside, I wrote, God's blessings in 2017, exclamation mark. And then I sit there and look at this bag of cookies, and I thought, pray about it. And so I just said, Lord, today as I go out, show me who to give these to, who to bless. So I stuck in my purse, didn't think anything more about it, and went to Sears to get my oil changed. So here I am in the automotive department. And there's a couple other customers waiting, and the guy behind the service counter, his hands are a little dirty and deep, furrowed brow, scowl, doesn't look, not unhappy, but just stressed. So I started praying for him as I was waiting in line, not loud, but I was just saying, oh, God, just lift his burden today. And he nudged me. God just nudged me and said, now, here. And in a split second, it was only a second, I said, Sears Automotive? But no, <laughs> instead I said, yes, Lord. And when it got my turn, he's kind of still in his furrowed brow look at me. And, you know, I just am staying there with this bag of cookies I pulled up. And the God's blessings in 2017 is showing on the outside as I handed it to him. And I said, would you like some Christmas cookies? I mean, nothing eloquent. Part of me said, my critical side said, that's the best you can do. <laughs> But I thought, God uses all things. And his scowl, all of a sudden, his demeanor didn't change completely because, I mean, it's still a stressed job he has. But it softened. For that one second, I saw his whole demeanor soften. And he's holding <laughs> these greasy hands, holding this bag of cookies. And he went, yeah, I'll take them. Thanks. And then he said, I'll share them with the guys in the back. And I said, great. That's all. I didn't have time to pray for him. Part of me was like, oh, I didn't pray for him. But the customers were kind of waiting, and I didn't want to take time because he's a busy man. But as I drove away from there, I thought, I don't know how many mechanics were in the back, maybe three, four others, that he passed this bag around. And maybe it sat back there on the workbench with God's blessings in 2017. I don't know who's a believer who's not. But God took that simple act, a bag of cookies. And he can use our most meager, simplest things that to us, our critical side said, oh, that's not enough. That's not much to offer. But he multiplies what our efforts are. So 
don't be afraid to offer him the least, the smallest thing that you can give in your giving this month. And it doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer or sit down. Obviously, this guy, I couldn't sit down, put my hand on, pray with him. But I gave him a bag of cookies. So just keep asking, keep your heart open, your ears open, your eyes open for how he's going to use you. And to God be the glory. And side note, I am so sorry for all the Vikings and Packers fans, but go Cowboys. (laughs) I'm probably the only one. And you, you did pronounce a blessing over them, which is a prayer. So that was, that was awesome. Fantastic. Not so hard, right? I want to hear your stories. You got to, after you go do it, come and tell me. Tell me your stories. I want to hear them. Love to, even after the service, uh, if you have, want to share something, please let me know. Let's pray. Well, Father, you are the great and awesome God. We are here for you, and we confess that our lives are, we're just clay pots, and, and we're, you know, it's hard at times, and we're afraid, but we want to honor you, and so we ask that you would lead us, help us to step out of our comfort zone, and to bring you glory, to offer prayer. Father, teach us today uh, about who you are and who we are. And this incredible plan, as we see unfolded in the book of Revelation, the end of time. Direct us. We ask that you'd open us, help us to hear the words, but also live out what you're calling us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6. It's the last book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And we're going through Revelation verse by verse. And uh, we are, this is the second message. We're at verses 4 through 6. I'm titling this, God the Letter Writer. Now to understand a letter, we need to know both who the author is and who the recipients are. By the way, this is also true of the universe. We need to know who the creator is and who the created are. Uh, Revelation 1 is an, the introduction to the whole book. And as the introduction to the book, it gives some very important information to know for the rest of the book to make sense. So we want to look at this in a little more detail. And here we see who the author is and who the recipients are. God is the author, and his people are the recipients. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I'm reading out of the NIV, and it's maybe slightly a little different than the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bibles that we, that we use. Uh, but that, I'm doing that through this because that's where all my notes are in this particular Bible for Revelation. But... 
Revelation, what we see here is that God wrote this letter to us. And in his salutation, we see who God is and who we are. We need to understand this. We see very clearly who God is and who we are. It starts out, verse 4, John. So John's the one who actually, you know, did the writing with his hand. Well, he might have. He was probably right-handed. Most people are right-handed, but, you know, I do the left-handed thing. (coughs) And it's specifically written to the seven churches in the province of Asia. But, But then we see that it's God himself who writes, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And we see this idea that, first of all, who is God? And our passage brings out some wonderful truths about who God is. Now, there is no more important subject than this one. Who is God? If you don't know the true God... When the end times come, you will falter and be deceived by the Antichrist. And so, knowing the truth about God will actually lead us to worship Him and serve Him. And here in this passage, we see an incredible picture of who He is and how great and awesome and wonderful He is. It starts out here, really, let let me read the whole thing again. Great, or from verse 4 here. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Here we see the Trinity. God is triune. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in all of his magnificence, we see this this idea that the one being, the one God, is so excellent, so wonderful. He is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know that that's above our heads at, in, in many ways. It's hard for us to grasp because most of us, you know, every being you see is one person, right? But just because that's all we see, that doesn't mean it's illogical. See, God in His magnificence, the one God, is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, co-eternal, co-equal, the one God. And so God is triune. These, these, they call these triads where you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mentioned. There's several throughout the Scriptures. Probably the, the, most, uh, the classic one is in Matthew chapter 28 with the baptismal formula. That this is how you're supposed to baptize people. It says, Baptize them in the name of, notice it doesn't say the names, in the name, one God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we see uh, the Trinity there. Uh, Another one, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, uh, that's the last verse of 2 Corinthians, which is right after 1 Corinthians. And uh, 2 Corinthians, the last verse, it ends with this, another triad. It says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so we see that God is triune. And then we move on. Uh, Let's deal with this first part. Him who is and who was and who is to come. 
God is sovereign over time. This phrase is probably reminding them going back to Exodus chapter 3 when God introduced himself to Moses and he said, I am. Yahweh means I am. I am. That's my name. That's who I am. And it's, it's, it's not that, and it represents that God is eternal. He's the eternal being, that he is beyond time. Here we see he he who, uh, him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, this phrase we'll see throughout the book of Revelation in several places, culminating at the end where it says, him who is and who was, but then it doesn't have the last part, and who is to come, because that's when Jesus comes, okay? So it's uh, quite, but it, here we see he's emphasizing that God really is even sovereign over time. Uh, God doesn't have a body, so he's not stuck in matter, and he's beyond time, so he's not stuck in time. In fact, God created both matter and time. When he created in the beginning, it says that God spoke and then everything came. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God created both matter and time. Einstein actually even theorized that, that time and matter are interconnected and need each other for, to, 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 to be possible. And so God, who has always been, created not just matter, but he also created time itself. Now, that kind of hurts our brains, right? Because you think it's because we're stuck in time. We can't even imagine what it would be like to not have time. But God, he's beyond time. That's how he can know the end and the beginning, how he can know exactly what's going to happen in the future because he's beyond, he's outside of time. Now, he can interact in time and in matter, but he's beyond it. He's sovereign over it all. He's not stuck in time or matter. And then we see the reference uh, to the Holy Spirit where it says, and from the seven spirits before his throne, this emphasizes God's omnipresence. You're saying, how does it do that? Okay, well, first of all, when it says the seven spirits, that doesn't mean there's seven of them. Uh, if you, most of your Bibles have a little footnote that will say, or sevenfold spirit. The literal Greek is seven spirits, but the idea, because this harkens back to passages of the Old Testament like Zechariah 4 and uh, Isaiah chapter 11, that it's referring to the sevenfold spirit, the Holy Spirit uh, of whom we depend on. Uh, So he is the one, but specifically this phrase is emphasizing his omnipresence. If you look at chapter 5, verse 6, this phrase is used again, and it specifically brings out this idea of how he's everywhere. It says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, circled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so we see this emphasis of of his being everywhere. God is omnipresent. The seven spirits, better understood as the sevenfold spirit, with an emphasis on the omnipresence of God we see here. Uh, By the way, the number seven is used in the book of Revelation 
54 times. It always emphasizes the completeness and perfection. And so here we see the complete, perfect Holy Spirit. And that's the point that we are to understand in uh, Scott Duvall's commentary. He says the background of the phrase seven spirits is the Old Testament book of Zechariah where we are told about the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth and possibly Isaiah 11. Most important, we learn from Zechariah how God works in this world, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, Zechariah 4.6. You might think of the Holy Spirit as the eyes and presence of God in the world watching over his creation, walking with and convicting his people and fighting against evil. While the Father is in heaven, seated on his throne, and the Son has won the victory on earth, but now shares the Father's throne in heaven, the Holy Spirit continues God's work on earth. The Father and the Son continue to work in the world through the Spirit. And so we see the Holy Spirit. Now, he is everywhere. Now listen, the omnipresence of God is not very comforting to those who are living apart from God. Because they can't escape him. They can't get away from him. But for those who are living for God, the omnipresence of God is very comforting. Because we know that no matter what I'm going through, he is there, right there with me. He will help me through. Sometimes miraculously bringing healing or deliverance or whatever, and sometimes just giving me the strength to endure whatever it is that I have to face. But he will be there with us. I will be with you is a promise throughout the Bible that we see. And it is by the Holy Spirit that this comes to, pl- to take place. So we have the Father, we have the Son, or the Spirit, and then Jesus, the Son. And Jesus is God. Now, all the way through the book of Revelation, we're going to see several attributes of God given to Jesus. So attributes in the Old Testament that say, this is Yahweh, this is God, we'll see that they ref- they're given to Jesus because Jesus is God. And we see this incredible statement about Jesus. It says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let's look at those three statements about Jesus and his magnificence. Uh, First of all, he is the faithful witness. By his perfect, sinless life and by his words and works, he showed us the character of God. He showed us who God is. But he also witnessed supremely by his death. By his death on the cross, which brought about the forgiveness of our sins, he witnessed, here is what God is like, and here is what we are to live like, this self-sacrificial life. And so we see this idea of witness. By the way, that word witness in the Greek is martyros, which we get our word martyr from, okay? Because the ultimate witness is by giving our lives up for Christ, And many of those in the first century died for their faith. uh, And so we see this. We are all called to be martyrs, 
to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, and some of us perhaps with that ultimate witness of being a martyr. And that is happening today. Last year, 2016, uh, the reports are 90,000 Christians were killed specifically because they were Christians for their faith in the world. 90,000. And we may be called to this ourselves. I want to read you one. I don't know. If you don't get the voice of the martyrs, you should sign up for this. But they always give these examples of people who have had to pay the, the, the ultimate price witnessing for Jesus Christ. He says, uh, here, 14-year-old Zaid had just received a new cell phone from his aunt and had run across the street to show his friends. Five minutes later, a car pulled up and three Muslim men stepped out. Are you a Christian? One of them asked, pushing the other two boys aside. Before Zaid could finish saying yes, one of the men raised his pistol and shot Zaid three times. They then jumped back in the car and sped away. Hamida, the mother, is proud of the courage her son displayed as the gunman asked him, Are you a Christian? He was a Christian, Hamida said, crying. He would never deny his faith. We will stay as Christians. That is our faith. Despite the suffering they caused, Hamida forgives her son's killers. God will judge them, not me, she said. I forgive them. If they greet me, I will greet them back. Hamida takes comfort in knowing that God understands her suffering. Jesus has sustained us, she said. When people lose a child, they can go crazy. But Jesus has sustained me in this situation and strengthened me. Hamida said she is most at peace when praying with friends and worshiping God. His presence helps her set aside her grief. Those kinds of things, especially in the end of time, they will come more and more and more of two believers. And so we are called to be witnesses, and some of us the ultimate witness of being a martyr. But Jesus was our example. He is the ultimate witness, the faithful witness that we can look to in our dif- difficult times. It says that He is the firstborn from the dead. Now, this particular phrase can sound a little stranger. Like some people even wonder, well, if he's firstborn, does that mean you know, there was a time when he wasn't? Is it, was he created or something like that? Well, no. Of course he was born. He was born of the Virgin Mary and so forth. And when he took on the second nature, that of humanity. But this phrase doesn't refer to being created. The firstborn says something different in the first century and in the, especially the Jewish people, their understanding of the firstborn. It meant preeminent one. In fact, why don't you look at Psalm 89, verse 27. Psalm 89 is an example of this idea of firstborn, this phrase being used in the way that they thought. By the way, when you're interpreting the Bible, don't read into it your 21st century way of thinking. We have to try to understand what did the original writers actually mean to say to the original audience? How did they think? And this is how they thought when they used this phrase, firstborn. Look at verse 27. And this is speaking of David. It says, I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. 
Now, David was not the first king. Saul was, right? And he wasn't the firstborn even of his, of his siblings. He was the youngest in his family. He was called firstborn because he was the most exalted one. That's what it emphasizes to be the preeminent one. He is the firstborn from the dead. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and receive a resurrected body, but as a promise to us that someday we too, if you were a believer, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you too someday will rise from the dead and receive a resurrected body. And that's the point that he's bringing out here. He's the preeminent one. Let me read from a from uh, Paige Patterson, really the emphasis of why this is here. It says, Death is the tyrant that threatens all creation with irreplaceable loss and ultimate meaninglessness. But the one who brings this prophecy has dealt with death and rendered death helpless by becoming the firstborn from the dead. And that promise to us that we too will rise from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead. And then my, my favorite phrase of these, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. The ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, you got to understand here, okay, that means he's in control of all of the rulers on the planet. Back then, at that time, outwardly, it appeared that Roman, Rome ruled without rival with sovereign might. But what he's saying here is that he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Domitian was the emperor at that time, and he was persecuting Christians. Christians were getting killed, but he's saying here Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. All the world powers are putty in his hand. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Wonderful passage of, of Scripture. Now, by the way, if you have trouble finding Colossians, I always remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It's go eat popcorn. Okay, so that's how you can remember that. You can use those little uh, mnemonic devices there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. There's that word firstborn again. But notice it's over all creation. It's His supreme and sovereignty over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been, have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Everything. It's absolutely true that He's got the whole world in His hands. And, got, and, and He is sovereign. He upholds all things. At any moment, He could just simply go like that, and the universe would vanish. He's in complete control of all of the kings of the earth, the ruler of the kings of the earth. All the world powers are putty in his hands. Look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30. A great proverb to remind us uh, of his sovereign control. Proverbs 21, verse 30. He says, There is no wisdom 
No insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. He's in control. So all the world powers are putting in his hands and all the demonic forces are under his control as well. Uh, a, a phrase that's found, especially by Paul, is elemental forces, referring to the elemental forces of the world, but the demonic forces behind them in many cases. But God is in control of it all. All demonic forces are under his control. The book of Job is a great example of this. In fact, the book of Job is a very important book in the Bible. You see, what it teaches is that Job, who had to go through some serious suffering, didn't he? And the point of the book we need to get is that Job wasn't suffering because of any sin in his life. Sometimes we suffer, and it's not because we sinned or did something wrong. It's simply because we live in a messed up world. And Job didn't sin, but yet he had to suffer. What Job didn't know is that in chapters 1 and 2, we get a behind-the-scenes snapshot of what was actually going on. And that's where Satan and God were dialoguing. And Satan was challenging and said that Job only worships you for what he can get. And that is not true worship. Now, if Job was right... I mean, if Satan was right, if Job only worshipped God for what he could get from God, that isn't true worship. And so that was the challenge. And so God permitted him to do all of the horrible things that took place, but Job worshipped God, didn't he? He continued, God won. You know, the book of Job really is all about worship. Most people don't realize that. But here in Job, what we see there is, and what we want to for our purposes here is we want to recognize that Satan couldn't do anything apart from God allowing him to. Satan couldn't do anything. In fact, Martin Luther says the devil is God's devil. He's in, God is in complete control. He had to get permission before he could do anything. Now, that does bring up some serious questions that I'm sure are going on in your head. Why does God even allow evil and the demonic in this world? Uh, I, let me read you something. I've written a paper on this. It's on our website if you're interested, a detailed paper. But let me just read you one thing from it. Dan Story says... God created Adam and all people to worship, obey, and have fellowship with him, to love him. Genuine love is inseparable from free will. God could have created Adam and all other people to think and act like robots. Mandate, God could have caused Adam not only to obey him, but to love him. Would this have been genuine love? Of course not. Love can't be programmed. It must be freely expressed. God wanted Adam to show his love by freely choosing obedience. That's why God gave Adam a free will. A free choice, however, leaves the possibility of a wrong choice. Adam made the wrong choice, thereby allowing sin to enter the world. You see, God allowed evil into this world possibly because it was the only way possible for the greater good of having people that freely choose to love him and each other. Hugh Ross 
says without the element of free choice, there wouldn't be the possibility for the expression of love. We would literally be robots. He gives the illustration of how a person could program their computer to tell the person it loves them, even with loving intonations. But it is just not the same as that person's wife telling him she loves him. Love demands freedom, and freedom demands the possibility of evil. So God allowed evil, but only for a time. He will wipe out all evil when Jesus returns. But for now, God is still in complete control of even the demonic forces. So here, this is God, sovereign, awesome in glory, triune, omnipresent. Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. But who are we? The letter then goes on. And by the way, we need to note here, this letter, the book of Revelation, was written to believers. It was not written to unbelievers, very specifically stated in this passage. It was written to believers. So who are we as believers? It's important for us to know who we are as believers, okay? Because if we have a misconception of who we are as Christians, we will end up not living to the full expectations of what's possible in our lives. Peter Lord wrote a book, an analogy, uh, called uh, Turkeys and Eagles, or Eagles and Turkeys, something like that, okay? But it, and his whole point in the book was that, uh, that this, this eagle... Uh, the, the egg somehow got into a turkey nest, and so he was raised as a turkey. And so if he'd look up, and he'd see the eagle soaring way, way up there, and, and he longed for that, but he lived like the turkeys because he grew up a turkey, okay? And, and that's, that's what could happen to us, right? Y- y'all are not a bunch of turkeys, okay? But, but, that, but we, if we're told we're turkeys, and that's all we think, we're going to live like turkeys. By the way... The illustration is not that good because if you've ever seen a turkey flying in the wilderness, it is am- anybody? It is amazing, isn't it? I mean, that is a majestic bird. I'll tell you that right now. But you know, when we think of turkeys, we think of that thing we eat, you know, on Thanksgiving. So you know, okay, you got you got the picture there, okay? So, but we need to know who we are. Who are we really, so that we can live out the full expectations of what's possible in our lives? And our passage says we are set free from our sins by His blood. Look at how it describes us. Five B. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. By the way, it concludes there, to him who loves us, God also is loving, isn't he? God loves us. We've seen that God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. But he's also omnibenevolent. He's all-loving. And to him who loves us and has freed us, from our sins by his blood. Now, this phrase would have reminded the first century people of the Passover. Because Moses, when uh, he, the ten plagues were poured out, the last plague, which was the death of all the firstborn in Egypt, Moses was commanded by God to tell the people of Israel, God's people, to sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, put it on the house, the doorpost of their house, and when the death angel 
came by, when it saw the blood, it would pass over the house and not pour out God's wrath upon that house. And so the sacrifice brought about to where they were, they were saved from the wrath of God. Now that is true of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are saved from the wrath of God. But they would have also remembered that then right after that, the Israelites were set free from the Egyptians. They were no longer slaves from the Egyptians. And so the blood of Jesus Christ brings out all of this, I, these ideas. First of all, the blood of Jesus Christ sets us free from the penalty of sin. Okay, right? Jesus paid the penalty we were supposed to pay for our sins so that we don't experience the wrath of God, which is hell. Uh, we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. But he also, he doesn't stop there. He sets us free from the penalty of sin, but he also sets us free from the power of sin. That's what our verse here is, is, is emphasizing. He freed us from our sins by his blood. We see this in many other passages like 1 Peter 2.24 and others, that not only does he set us free from the, from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. You don't have to live a life that's just stuck in sin. See, that's the world saying that, right? It's like being a turkey. Believe in the lie that you just have to sin all the time. You've been set free. Romans 6 promises us that. It says you have been set free from sin. And so with that freedom, we can live lives. Now, not perfect lives. We're not perfect. There's, it's a, but we can live lives where sin is the exception to the rule. And that should be, that should be what our lives are like if we believe it. And we've got to see that the blood of Jesus Christ is that powerful. Not only... Does the blood of Jesus Christ set us free from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, but also eventually from the very presence of sin? Galatians chapter 1 brings that out. That someday when Jesus returns, wipes out all evil, no more sin. Won't that be a great day? What an awesome day. Oh, man. Wow. (laughs) This is... This is who we are. This is our promise. This is God's people and what we are like. Okay, so we are set free from our sins by His blood. And we are a kingdom and priest. Did you see that? He says, verse 6, And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. So what is that referring to? Okay, well, to understand this, this is also mentioned in 1 Peter, but to understand this, this is actually a quote from Exodus. So we need to go back to Exodus and see what he was talking about. What is God's original plan for the Jewish people, for the Israelites? And also now here he's speaking of this same, this same phrase is used for the church. What is God's plan? Look at Exodus chapter 19. Because this passage is amazing, but it's tragic. Look at Exodus 19. And we will begin in verse 5. He says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, that's his calling on the Israelites. That's what they were supposed to be, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But now, skip down to verses 16 through 19. This is when God reveals himself to the Israelites. It says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Wow. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Do you get the picture? I mean, what would it have been like to be there, okay? Now, this is God. He's he speaks, and then the Ten Commandments are given in chapter 20. The people, the Israelites, actually heard the voice of God. And, but now here's the tragic part of this whole thing. Look at the Jewish people's response. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21. When the people saw the thunder and lightning. Okay, so he's referring back to that incident incident in chapter 19, right? When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Remember God's plan to make them a kingdom of priests and he invited them to come and meet with him. But when they saw the awesomeness of God, instead of allowing the fear of God to draw them near to God, In their unbelief, they backed off. And they weren't. They didn't live out what God was calling them to be, a kingdom of priests. This phrase, kingdom of priests, believers are a kingdom because they fulfill the role of kings under the king of kings to advance the kingdom of God. And we are priests because we have access to the immediate presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, chapter 10, 22 brings this out. They were called to access to the presence of God, but they backed off. We're called to access the presence of God, to enter into the very holy of holies, is what Hebrews chapter 4, 16 is referring to. You see, God has a plan to use us to advance the kingdom of God. But this plan only works as we draw near to him and hear his voice and obey his call. George Eldon Ladd, in his commentary, he says about the priest aspect, it means that believers have no need of further mediation because they have access 
to the immediate presence of God, where they perform the priestly functions of offering sacrifices of thanksgiving, worship, and praise to God. And in that presence, we can hear His voice and respond and advance the kingdom of God. Let me read you an example of this. One of our missionaries, Jonathan, who's a missionary in the Middle East, he uh, sent this letter out, and he gives this little uh, example here of what just took place in his life. He says, Recently, we were together in prayer and felt the need to be simply led by the Spirit in prayer. So we all sat there eagerly waiting His guidance. This doesn't happen often, but the Lord gave me a picture of my team. And we were inside a boat in the midst of a treacherous storm. On the edge of a giant wave, we would soon crash back into the sea. Immediately, I thought of the disciples in the storm and the importance of keeping our faith and trust in Jesus in times like these. However, I hate to admit it, I was fearful to even mention this to my team. I began to think, was this really from the Lord or is this just for me? However, not even five minutes later, our business came crashing down as members from the government entered our facility and demanded we close down immediately. Our leaders pleaded with the officials to allow us to remain open throughout the rest of the week. Praise the Lord, we gained their favor and were able to remain open for another 24 hours. It turns out we were caught in the middle of an educational system conflict that we had nothing to do with. And so we see, if that would have happened without that vision that the Lord gave him, perhaps their faith would have crashed. But God showed them ahead of time. Here's what's going to happen. But stay strong. Don't worry. That's what God wrote the book of Revelation for us. Here's what's going to happen. But stay strong. Don't worry. God is in control. We are called to be a kingdom of priests who will hear the voice of God and step out and share the gospel and advance the kingdom no matter what is happening in the world, no matter what kind of persecution is taking place. The church grows the best, by the way, in times of persecution. So I say, bring it on. Because God will give us the strength to endure and use us for His glory. I do believe that the greatest revival will take place during this time period as well. And so we are kingdom, a kingdom and priests, and we were made to bring glory to God. Look at how the passage ends. To Him... Be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It is not about us. It's about Him. Whatever, whenever, I want to bring you glory, God. That must be our calling. Sometimes people get afraid when they hear that the end times is coming soon. With the truth of the sovereignty of God and His plan for us, we can stand against anything without fear. God's plan is for your good. If you are led by God, then you are safe. The safest place you could be is in the center of God's will. And I don't mean you won't be harmed. The world's a war zone. Mess will happen. But you will see God's glory 
and bring glory to Him if you center your life on Him and His glory, fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's not about you and your pleasure and your happiness and this and that. That stuff comes, but it's all about Him when we seek to live for His glory. Now, in the end times, we need to know who God is and who we are and not confuse the two. That was the problem way back in the beginning in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, the people, apart from God, built a tower. And they built a tower to make a name for themselves, it says. And they wanted to reach the heavens, but it was apart from God. And it was against what God said to go throughout all the world. But instead, they wanted to just localize. Now, God then scatters them. And he confuses their languages, if you remember. And so all that takes place. But what we see in the book of Revelation is that those people, the people who are opposed to God, will eventually come back. And they will begin to speak the same language, so to speak, in opposition to God. And that's when we see all chaos take place. But if God's people in faith stand strong, seeking to live out who we really are in Christ Jesus, we will see that great revival take place. And that's what he calls us to. And by the way, I've read the back of the book. We win. Let's pray. And invite the worship team come up. And Father, we focus our hearts on you. We confess that we are weak, we are afraid, and apart from you, we can't do anything of spiritual significance. But when you lead us, When you empower us, we can offer cookies and see the kingdom of God come and make a difference. We can step out and speak to people even in the midst of persecution. We want to be led by you. We want to hear your voice. Yes, you are kind of scary, God. The thunder and the clouds but you're also good. And so we choose to draw near to you. We draw near to you and we ask, oh Lord, help us to overcome sin. We don't want to defame your name. We draw near to you and ask, empower us, oh God. Let us hear your voice afresh and send us out. We would see incredible things. We would be a part of advancing the kingdom of pray for each person here, protect each of us in our families, whatever is going to come in our way in our lifetime. But Lord, use us for your glory. Don't let us just waste our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.